what started with you know me being able to hold a tool for them and watching them do work to you know my brother one day turning to me and I had complained that there was something squeaking on my car I had no idea what it was and he's like well those are the squealer tabs you need to change your brakes and I was like I need to change my brakes and he said yeah let's get out there and he showed me how to how to do a brake wow. job I mean they were so influential So the automotive industry is, you know, undergoing a huge transformation. Like you said, nothing like it that we've seen in the last hundred years. We're talking about car and ride sharing, autonomous vehicles, and then of course moving to EVs, which enables huge opportunities from an environmental perspective. You know, we want a sustainable future. That's why GM has committed to EVs in in our future, and it's really about not just sustainability of vehicles, but sustainability of the planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, a multi-generational conversation about leadership, power, gender, and justice through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle. Our podcast is recorded through the Motor City Women's Studios right here in my home base of Detroit. And I spent the second chapter of my career working at Ford Motor Company. So I thought it was about time we talked about women's growing influence in the auto industry which is one of the most influential, complex, and fascinating businesses in the world. And besides, who hasn't fallen in love at least once with a favorite vehicle? Women have been taking the wheel, not only for the freedom of the road, but also in leading innovation from the very beginning of the auto industry in the early 1900s. I'll bet you didn't know, for example, that the windshield wiper and turn and brake signals were first developed by women. And here in the United States, women make or influence 85% of vehicle buying decisions. When it comes to careers and leadership roles, though, the auto industry has been very much a boys club for a long time, especially in engineering and manufacturing. But all that is changing, particularly at General Motors, which is in the midst of both a cultural and an innovative revolution under the leadership of CEO Mary Barra. Last year, GM became one of the few global corporations in the world with a majority female board. Seven of their 13 directors are women, and they have publicly committed to building a diverse and inclusive global work culture. But the revolution isn't just at the top, and it's not just about leadership. The future of transportation is also at stake, which is all about the electrification revolution. With plans for all electric vehicle lineup by 2035, GM's goal is to put every driver in an electric vehicle on a scale we've never seen before. And the only way they're going to do that is with irresistible electric vehicles that can do everything that traditional vehicles can and more. And women engineers, designers, marketeers, and every role in the auto industry women are right at the thick of this challenge. And that's why I am absolutely thrilled to have as my guest today, Nicole Kratz, the chief engineer of GM's 2024 Chevy Silverado EV, a battery electric full-size pickup truck. 
Pratt is the vehicle's chief engineer, not just for Silverado EV, but for all battery electric trucks at General Motors. That means from vehicle conception through testing and launch, she is responsible for evolving General Motors truck development pipeline, a gigantic job. And throughout her 24 year career, Nicole has held numerous engineering leadership roles, the mother of three daughters. She is also a passionate advocate for women in STEAM, science, technology, engineering, the arts and mathematics, education and careers. Welcome, Nicole Kratz. Wow, that was a great introduction. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. You are very welcome. You have an absolutely gigantic job. I'm sure it's exciting, but I can't really imagine how you sleep at night. Let's start with, of course, the Chevy Silverado EV pickup truck. No pressure at all when your CEO introduces it as a revolutionary vehicle, which is going to revolutionize and change the entire future of transportation. Uh, so let's start by talking about Number one, your role, because I think people outside the auto industry have no clue about the complexity of a chief vehicle engineer. And then why is this such an important vehicle? A chief engineer is kind of a jack of all trades in the automotive industry, quite frankly. We're responsible for um, integrating the design aesthetics um, that the look and appearance of the vehicle want to be all the way through trying to engineer solutions to meet that design or that appearance and criteria, along with making sure that the truck has a really great customer um, feature set, like 400 miles of range, um, like great structural vehicle dynamic feel. And then um, the last piece of that role is really about making sure that we can build it at scale in our production facilities and enable the volume and the um, customer you know, wants uh, that are out there for full-size trucks. So it's a very um, uh, large role at General Motors. It has a lot of people um, on the team uh, really working together to create an awesome product. And I am just so proud of the, the work that my entire team has done to develop the new um, Silverado EV. It's an amazing truck and we're really excited to bring it out to our customers. When you talk about the team, I mean, give us a sense of some of the different kinds of jobs and, and how many women are on that team besides you at the top? Yeah, um, so we've got a pretty good mix of um, all, I will just say a lot of diversity, not just men and women, but also different cultural um, aspects to our team. We've got um, groups of people that are engineers, which I really like to call innovators. We work together with our design studio, so a lot of that artistic styling approach that comes together. Those teams are a very large part of the innovation that goes into the Silverado. And then manufacturing, engineering, um, purchasing. And uh, so all of the sort of business side of things are on my team as well. And we've got a pretty close to 50% mix of uh, male and females on my team, um, working through uh, purchasing our engineering teams as well as in design. I work on a team that's also um, sort of 50-50 when you look at men versus women across chief engineers that are working on our battery electric future um, wow. for other products that we're bringing out. So it's a pretty, you know, it's a really great day when you can walk in the room and, and it doesn't matter who is at the table from a, 
from a diversity perspective, it's that you've got a lot of diversity of thinking in the room, ready to go innovate and become entrepreneurs and, and think of a, a different solution to a problem. Well, the auto industry and GM uh, have certainly changed a lot since my days uh, when all too many women, including me, know exactly what it feels like uh, to be the only woman in the room. And we're going to talk about that because yeah. I know you know what it is to be an outlier. You have I led do. the way. But I want to first uh, ask you, you know, the, the, the vehicle isn't out yet. Um, it's a very important vehicle. And I know that um, you were on the stage with Mary Barra in Las Vegas recently when it was revealed to the world. Knowing engineers very well, I know that's probably not your favorite place to be. Uh, but how did that feel to be out there talking about this revolutionary vehicle with really some of the most influential journalists in the world? Yeah, so you're right. Um, that was the first time that I've ever been out uh, publicly and, and, you know, doing media interviews and things like that. This is certainly not my first time as a chief engineer, but the first time that I've been able to talk um, openly to the media and to the world about the, the Silverado EV. You know, it's a, it's a different looking truck with a capability that has all of the full-size truck engineering and capacity and quality you know, built into it. And so when you have a team who's created an extremely compelling product that has hit the mark with every one of the um, things that we set out to go do, it becomes a really easy story to tell. And I'm just so proud that my team was able to do all of this great work ahead of time, really looking at how an all new ground up architecture can really reimagine that pickup truck, redesign it from the ground up on an EV based architecture. The possibilities of what we designed into that pickup truck become endless. Every time I can talk about the Silverado, um, I'm really excited to talk about it because it is such a great um, story of engineering innovation, of design collaboration, and of just pushing the bar and pushing the envelope to come up with something that's just more compelling and better for our customers than what they see today in the full-size truck segment. Why is that so hard? I mean, you're at the thick of it, but for people who really are just like, okay, I just need my truck to drive and to carry stuff and to uh, not run out of power. Why is this such a breakthrough? To set the EV adoption in motion, we need to give them more than they're going to get from a traditional full-size pickup truck today. And so the challenge is really about making a compelling story that offers more capability, more flexibility of cargo, more opportunities for storage and for you know, interior spaciousness. And then really, um, more importantly in the EV space is over 400 miles. We know that range anxiety is a real thing. There's a curve yep. in terms of the infrastructure and all the things that are building up around the country, around the world. And so mm -hmm. having to, to design in 400 miles of range in a full-size pickup truck is an extraordinary challenge. And then the design team wanted the truck to look different. We did not want it to look exactly like the Silverado ICE, you know, sort of brother of the Silverado EV. And so when you set out to make a different looking truck, you have challenges immediately um, just in terms of the architecture and enabling some of the design cues that we're looking for in that full-size um, pickup. And clarify for people how this is different from a hybrid. Oh, well, the hybrid would have a gas engine and an electric propulsion system. 
And the one thing that's different between the two is that with a gasoline um, engine comes what we call uh, extra components. So you still need an exhaust, you still need an induction, you'll still have an engine under hood. And so the flexibility of cargo carrying capability of having a flat floor to enable you know, huge interior storage, of being able to pack the 24 module battery pack to get over 400 miles, all of those things become trade-offs. And so with a hybrid, you have a, a, a gas or diesel engine that would take over to sort of be a, a range extender, if you will. And with mm-hmm. the EV, um, you don't have that capability. You simply um, plug into a DC fast charge station or to your home charger, and you're able to recharge your batteries um, at home or out on the road. So this is a gigantic commitment that General Motors has made, really. I mean, to completely change from um, you know the way that we have powered vehicles from the very, very beginning over 100 years. Uh, to going to electric. Why is that so important in terms of, let's say, the planet? So the automotive industry is, you know, undergoing a huge transformation. Like you said, nothing um, like it that we've seen in the last hundred years. We're talking about um, car and ride sharing, autonomous vehicles, and then, of course, moving to EVs, which enables huge opportunities. From an environmental perspective, you know, we want a sustainable future. That's why GM has committed to EVs um, in in our future. And it's really about not just um, sustainability of vehicles, but sustainability of the planet. And so when you start to think through what that means, it's about trying to get to the zero emissions, um, zero crashes, zero congestion in the future, making the planet cleaner for um, our future, um, you know, cultures and people that are coming through um, in the environment, and then really working I would just say holistically, not just with EV vehicles, but also the infrastructure. So, you know, General Motors with EV Grow has um, charging units that we're going to be putting in throughout the um, country. We're working with partnerships for other charge stations. And I think what's really important about that is to really talk about sustainability from a whole ecosystem perspectiveness really means things like not having charge stations that are utilized for just one OEM, one manufacturer, have charge Mm. stations that are good for the entire world, for the entire, you know, we are not the only EV game in town. We know that, (laughs) but it's about not just us selling EVs, but also making an EV future sustainable for everyone. And so you'll see that the entire network that GM is really working towards is for sustainability for anyone who drives an EV. It doesn't just have to be um, one of our products. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, of let's say, the, the, the computer revolution when, you know, Apple versus, you know, uh, PCs and Apple is basically saying, hey, you, you can only use our products. And that would be a disaster, really, because um, right now, I mean, we have gas stations all over the world and you can count on finding a gas station and not running out of gas. But how quickly do you think we're going to get to? having the kind of infrastructure for EVs that will give people the comfort level to make what's going to be a gigantic mindset transition? I think that um, General Motors is absolutely committed to growing that infrastructure. We're making the opportunity to charge at your home easy with some home solutions, as well as um, growing the infrastructure. I mean, the, um, the substations that are needed to support the 
charge stations are, are things that we should be looking at utilizing across brands, across OEMs. And we're very much committed to common SAE type solutions that are gonna be used across OEMs. I think that's critical to the transformation. I think it's critical to the growth. And there are um, several commitments from us to, to enable that um, with our peers and partners. The Detroit Free Press just did a fantastic profile of you. And, uh, you know, in that profile, you called this your dream job. And but they also talked about, you know, your background, which is absolutely fascinating. So I want to go back to that little girl growing up in Michigan who grew into this uh, incredible engineer. Uh, number one, did you think of yourself as a tomboy? Um, I would say you know probably that word? yes. Yeah, no, uh, that, I know that word well. I would say yes. I mean, I definitely wasn't very interested in what I'll just call the traditional girl um, type things, but I will say that I was. I mean, I had as many Cabbage Patch Kids, I'm dating myself here, but <laughs> I had as many um, Cabbage Patch Kids and Strawberry Shortcake Dolls as I had um, army men that I was making parachutes for to, to drop down off the deck onto the <laughs> ground. So, you know, I think I was a pretty good mix of just anything that interested me. And I think that's a little bit to do with um, when we talk about STEM versus STEAM, you know, STEM education is missing the art piece, which I think is really important to a um, holistic, innovative approach to how we change the world, change our designs, change our vehicles. I was really good in art. I played the piano for over 10 years. And so hmm. it wasn't just about motorcycles and snowmobiles. It was about um, having a, you know, a plethora of opportunities that that really made me happy that my parents let me, you know, one day go run around with motorcycles. And then the next day I'm sitting and playing um, piano in a in a you know concert somewhere. So I don't think it's just about being a tomboy. I think it was my parents really saying to me, go after what you like go after things that you don't know if you like and try it, try it at least once and tell us, you know, what you want to do. And I think that's um, the mindset that I grew up on. The other fascinating part of that, besides the role of your parents in terms of like not putting boundaries about things, were also your brothers. Uh, share, share a little bit about um, the role of your brothers played in sort of uh, influencing that, triggering your imagination and, and supporting and encouraging you? Yeah. So um, I have a brother and a cousin who's basically like my brother. They're both five years older than me, just a couple months apart. And they were, you know, just into motorcycles, snowmobiles, cars, repairing stuff, always out in the garage. And I was the only girl five years younger, just sort of toddling around, following them, just looking at them with these big open eyes. And so it started with you know, me being able to hold a tool for them and watching them do work to, um, you know, my brother one day turning to me and I had complained that there was something squeaking on my car. I had no idea what it was. And he's like, well, those are the squealer tabs. You need to change your brakes. And I was like, <laughs> I need to change my brakes. And he said, yeah, let's get out there. And he showed me how to, how to do a brake wow. job. I mean, they were so influential just in terms of never looking at me as that little girl. They very much looked at me as this super smart person who was just trying to constantly learn and see and do. 
And um, it was an amazing experience growing up. I absolutely had, you know, just the best opportunities in my childhood for learning, you know, really whatever I wanted. And that set the stage for you to then move into um, an industry which was very, very challenging in terms of women. Uh, you know what it is to be an outlier, I'm sure. Will you share a little bit of maybe what you you had to overcome uh, as you moved up through engineering? Yeah, I mean, I certainly was in my engineering classes at Oakland University. I was one of a few female students that were in a lot of those classes. I can probably count on my hand the number of women, girls that were studying for exams as opposed to the rest of our um, class. So I, I certainly, I would just say, grew up in a more male-dominated um, field. I would say at the start, it was interesting because at my start at GM, it was interesting because um, some people looked at you through more of a neutral biased lens. Um, I would say those were my supporters. They were the ones that labeled me the sponge when I first came um, to work with GM because I just asked so many questions. I just wanted to understand everything that they were doing and, and learn as much as I could. And that's kind of just who Nicole is. There were others that had a harder time accepting a female as a equally intelligent, take her seriously kind of person. And I looked at those folks as my challengers. I mean, they had to challenge me to be at my best, to keep doing what I knew was right for our customers, um, to keep innovating and keep pushing the envelope for things that I thought were going to be better, whether it was for our customers or whether it was for the way that GM was doing business. And so, you know, I really looked at them as um, my challengers to make sure that I could bring my best every day to what I did. You know, now it's not an issue. I, I, I don't want to say that um, off the cuff. I mean, there certainly are still areas where we need more women to go into engineering and consider that as a field as their first idea, first thought, first opportunity. But when I, when I say it's a non-issue, I walk into a meeting and it's not me looking around the room seeing two women and 10 men. Even if that was true, I don't walk in the room and see that. What I walk in the room and see is a group of people that are ready to share their thoughts and ideas and to pull the diversity of their thinking out in those teams because we do think differently. Let's face it. I mean, your cultural background, your um, you know, sexual orientation, everything has to do with how you think and how you're wired and connected. And any one of those people can bring a different experience to any solution a simple problem like creating cargo um, space in an interior can be opened up so much more to different ideas if you can bring that diversity um, to the table. And, and that's really now how um, we're doing things at GM. It certainly wasn't like that at the start, but there were pockets of that. And those right. people have you know brought things forward that have been really amazing. And it's taken the leadership of Mary Barra, you know, absolutely at the top to drive that and, and to push it all the way through what uh, one CEO at Ford Motor Company said to me is the layer of clay, you know, be, be, between yes. that vision at the very top and then all the way through a gigantic organization. For all the pieces that you've mentioned going way back to your childhood, um, you also had a very powerful mentor in your grandfather. Unusual. Will you share the role that he played as a mentor to you, sounding board, when you did run into uh, those inevitable challenges that everyone run in, runs into? 
Yeah, my grandfather was a um, immigrant from Italy, and he had uh, worked at General Motors and was in a plant um, doing some welding work, keeping up some of our tools. And he was really proud of working for GM. So I, for, for whatever reason, never had ever um, thought of ever working anywhere else but GM when I decided to go into automotive engineering. So I would go back to him when I had issues, especially early on in my career. And he had this um, advice that I kept with me throughout all of the years. And that was, you can be bold and you can be re respectful, but don't be disrespectful. And I think what, what he and I talked about a lot was, look, men and women, we do think differently. It's okay. We have to acknowledge that. And it's not a problem. It's a fact. And so when you're seeking to be heard, you have to first understand what someone else is saying to you. And so being bold means standing up for what you think, um, but it's equally important to make sure that you understand what others are thinking so that you have a respectful way of having a dialogue instead of just coming in, assuming a position, not willing to hear any alternative, alternatives, you know, portraying that you know, where you are is where you are and no one else can you know, change what you're thinking. And so the be respectful part is really important because just our tones and our approaches and our inflection in our voices can be taken differently because we hear things differently. We see things differently. And if we can acknowledge that and say, you know, to someone in the room, I, I hear this is what you're saying. Is that what you're actually saying? You have to get mm. to the crux of that before you can have the dialogue of being bold before you even try to be bold. You have to figure out what you're trying to be bold about. And so mm. he was really helpful in trying to drive me towards, please make sure you understand what these folks, men, women, whoever are saying first before you try to argue, you know, your point or your position. Wow. That's powerful advice. Thanks for explaining it as carefully as you did. Uh, I, I can hear the mother in you also because you are, and the leader really in you. I know you're the mother of three daughters. Um, what is your advice, not only to them, but let's say to other, um, you know, women listening who may be working in or, or thinking about going into a field uh, where they still may be uh, an outlier uh, needing to help open the path for more women? You know, my, my um, daughters are three very different individuals, first of all. They think differently. They um, are interested in different things completely. Uh, I have an art major at the University of Michigan, and I have a, you know, mini Nicole math and science <laughs> genius that I can only imagine what her um, possibilities will be. I would say the first thing is that the world offers so much more than we can imagine or expect when we're young or even in college. You know, I, I said to Grace, my oldest the other day, keep yourself open to possibilities that are beyond the plan that you think you have today, what you think you want, because the world is changing so quickly that what we think are our dreams will change as we grow and as the world really innovates and grows even more. And then um, I would say the second thing that I would say is, Go after the jobs and assignments where you have passion and a drive to do something new, 
um, creative, unique, different. Don't don't take a job or do a job simply because it's the right thing to check off a list because you want, you know, I want to be a chief engineer and these are the four things I must go do in order to be a chief engineer. It doesn't mm. work. The reason it doesn't work is because the only way to be a really great chief engineer is to have the passion for your customers, for the product, for making things be different and making things great that are compelling, that bring, you know, people in like our Silverado EV. And so making sure that you are passionate about what you're doing will drive you to do a great job in whatever role that you have, you know, in your company, in your, in your, um, you know, classes at a, at a university. Um, and then I think the last thing is probably just you know, acknowledge that we have differences in thinking, you know, our strategies um, are different. And that doesn't mean that you're the only, you know, right answer or right strategy, but just think about everyone. You know, one of the things I always say to myself is there's always a quiet person can be, you know, man, women, whoever, there's always a quiet person in the back of the room that I will seek out in a, in a meeting and say, can you tell me what you think about this? Because it's just as important to hear from that person as it is to hear from someone who's totally comfortable being outspoken or loud or you know included in the conversation from the start. Those folks have just as much difference in thinking and innovation and mindset as someone who's comfortable you know, speaking and talking through the problem out in the front of everyone and diversity in the way that we're thinking is critical to innovation. So not just diversity in who makes up the team, but diversity in the way that we're approaching problem solving. I can hear the wisdom that you're sharing, but also the joy. And and to me, you know, it's the joy that gives you the energy to tackle on gigantic roles such as you have as, as the chief engineer of this um, remarkable vehicle. What is it that you, Nicole, uh, want people who really have uh, never even thought about considering an electric vehicle uh, to hear, uh, to understand, uh, to take away from this conversation about the future of transportation and why it's all about electric? The opportunities um, that an EV can provide can be mi mind-blowing and game-changing. I mean, in the Silverado EV, we really work to reimagine what cargo flexibility means with our mid-gate. We really reimagined and rethought how aerodynamics can really um, play a critical role in range and, and have come up with, you know, an over 400-mile range pickup truck. You know, those things really matter. Um, being able to, you know, offboard power, uh, large amounts of power to be able to go have a great tailgate or power your your home or a job site are, you know, really fantastic innovations that people should really look at as you're not giving up anything from a traditional vehicle. In, a, in my case, a pickup truck, you know, or in a car, you're getting that and more. And so the the reason to come over is compelling. Now, that being said, you know, range anxiety is real. I went through it personally. I'm a full-size pickup truck driver daily, and I went and um, drove an EV pickup to Indianapolis, you know, so an overnight um, uh, weekend with my daughter in a soccer tournament. And I had and went through all of those things with range anxiety. It's not as big of a deal as you think. 
but there are definitely pain points. So the infrastructure growth is critical. And I'm really looking forward to all of the OEMs being on board to grow our charging networks. GM is playing a very large role in that, creating a charging network of our own. But I would say don't let that um, pain point talk you out of the EV experience because with vehicles that we're bringing out as compelling as the Silverado EV, having over 400 miles of range really resets what you think of in terms of your daily driving and what you're using that vehicle for. I promise you that the drive experience is much improved over a traditional full-size pickup truck. But again, you're not having to give up anything to come over into that EV space. And as your colleague and my friend, your chief marketing officer at General Motors, Deborah Wall says, when people ask her, she says, hey, have you driven an electric vehicle yet? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So let's go, let's go try them. Thank you so much for joining us, Nicole Kratz, chief engineer on one of the most important vehicles made by General Motors, the new electrified version of one of the best-selling pickup trucks in the world. Uh, the Silverado EV. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks, Anne. I really appreciate it. And Deborah would be really upset if I didn't put a plug in for, if I have piqued your interest in the, in the Chevy Silverado EV, please go to Chevrolet.com and put down a reservation because we've got lots of opportunities for people. And I promise them they will have an amazing experience in that full-size pickup truck. Now, let's all go. Power up! Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll keep listening and share us with your network and help us spread the word by rating us on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb. I'm Ann Doyle.